Right. This is a long one. It's going to be a very long one. So, hey, welcome everyone who <laughs> joined. A lot of people waiting on this one. And I don't know if it's because I I announced it earlier on or because there's a lot of stuff or people just want to see Twitter burn. <laughs> like maybe it's a bit of all of these things. Uh, all right. Let me jump into it and uh, get everyone who is joining. Uh, Christian, I hope uh, we're going to keep you entertained. Scott Helmers here. Mate, you are not first. Christian was there. He was there early. Thank you, Christian. And he, he actually left a nice message. G'day, Tim and Stephen. Uh I see, uh, I see you on Mastodon, Scott, chiming in there, which is nice. All right, heaps of people here. So let me let me jump into it because I think this one will go for a while. Uh, and I'm just looking at my wall of screens, <laughs> deciding where to start. I'll start with something easy because I've got some empirical data on this as well. Uh, the Halloween Pwned rate limit has now changed effective as of, I think, about an hour ago. I, I clicked the button. This was announced 60 days ago to the day. Now, this was the one where, back in the day, you used to be able to make one request every one and a half seconds, every 1,500 milliseconds. You could make one request to the API, and then if you made too many, then you'd get ACP429, uh, and you get a retry after, and you'd theoretically, you would wait You'd calm down and then you'd come back in to make more requests. Done that in order to limit abuse. And then the problem I end up having is just consistently having people go, not only am I going to smash for the rate limit and then just keep smashing and smashing and smashing and smashing. And yeah, you won't get responses, but I've still got to serve. Well, let me rephrase it. You do get a response. You get a 429, but I've still got to serve the response, which consumed resources. But then you'd have people using proxies all over the place and getting all sorts of other IP addresses, and inevitably there was a whole bunch of botnet activity. So that was when I got the enforceable rate limit where you had to get an API key and you had to pay you $3.50. And you got the key. And I was going to say that 99 point something percent of the abuse went away. I, I honestly think it rounds to 100%. <laughs> like it just turns out hackers don't like stumping up their own credit cards or do nasty stuff. And it fixed the problem so well. So this was mid-2019. Anyway, fast forward a few years, gone through, and eventually done what many, many people have been asking for. It's like higher rate limits and also being able to do annual billing. So all of that launched 60 days ago now. Uh, and it's gone beautifully. It's gone fantastically. People seem to be very happy with it. The code works. I've had like one or two minor, minor, minor glitches. Uh, figuring out Stripe has been fun. Pretty much everything's worked fine. Now, at the time, that 60 days ago, I also went, look, that default mechanism we had of one request every 1,500 milliseconds was way in excess of what most people were using. It was like well over 90% of people were well under that. So I did foreshadow that dropping from one request every 15 millis 1,500 milliseconds, which was basically 40 requests a minute, dropping to 10. Now, that, uh, that got grandfathered in. For anyone still on that, they still got to do their 40 requests a minute until today. Any new plans at $3.50 were 10 requests a minute. And, of course, that's what most people have signed up for because that's what most people need. So I've only just today taken that 40 requests per minute, which is pretty easy because a little bit here in Azure API Management where you go and configure our policies and you can say this is how many requests you can make over a period of time. And it was four requests every six seconds. And I just changed the four to a one and I clicked save. And now I can see from my chart all of the rate limit exceeded responses that are coming through. 
So it has obviously worked because there's quite a, a clear uptick in rate limit exceeders. A lot of people getting 14 irons at the moment. When I get a bit more data, I'll, I'll share it because this only happened like an hour ago. The chart is a bit janky because I think the increments are like five minute increments or something. So I'll get a bit more. Oh, just ticked up again. <laughs> I'll get a bit more data and then I'll share that with everyone. All right. Who else here? Who's here in the comments? Uh, Mitch is from Ottawa. There you go. Haven't been to Ottawa yet. Been to a few other places in Canada. Christian's got a question regarding have I pwned on Twitter, but we'll wait until the subject comes up. We'll get there. Don't worry about that. Uh, what else? I think it's going to Lance's uh, cold, wet Sydney. So we've had friends staying with us for a couple of days, uh, and literally one hour ago, that they got in a, a taxi to go to the airport and head back to Sydney. And we're looking at the forecast, going, "Oh, it's 15 in Sydney at the moment. Feels like 12." So here on the Gold Coast at the moment, it's 23. This is Celsius, by the way. Heading for 28, the sun's out. It's already too warm to sit outside in the back. You just get <laughs> get roasted. And I'm here in my office. Anyway, other than that, it's fine. It's all good. Speaking of cold, wet, miserable places, John's in London. <laughs> hey, John. <laughs> Stuart, catching his life for the first time in too long. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right. Let's talk about Deezer because Deezer, it's almost a bit of a shame I had to jump in the Twitter stuff today because... I, I don't feel done with Deezer. So let's talk about Deezer. There are people here that are in Deezer. I know Scott was in Deezer. Scott got a, a, a Deezer uh, notification from me. Didn't get one from Deezer, which is part of what makes this interesting, but he definitely got one from me. What does Wikipedia say Deezer is? I must have heard the name before, but I really hadn't thought much about it. Uh, these are the French online music streaming service. It allows users to listen to music content from record labels. Thanks, Wikipedia. As well as podcasts on various devices online or offline. The, the general sense I got from people and their responses is what is that Deezer was what they used before Spotify. <laughs> and inevitably got bundled in with different products. And I'm not sure if it got white labeled in some cases as well. But uh, apparently available in 180 countries. They got very breached. And they got very breached last year. If I go through to the the things here in my links. Uh, so this was December 7. There's a story here on restoreprivacy.com. Now, interestingly, this was sort of one of the only places I found much news. There wasn't a lot of news about this, which I thought was surprising for a data breach with more than 200 million people in it. Now, maybe it was because we're getting towards Christmas and there are other things happening, but it was a proper, proper breach, not a, not a scrape. I'll come back to the definition of that when we get to Twitter. First and last names, dates of birth, email addresses, gender, location data, the date they joined and the user ID. No one cares too much about the user ID. So they got breached and they did put out an announcement about that, which makes my life so much easier because I, I love not having to do disclosure. So their announcement, now this says two months ago, uh, one of the things I hate about this is you can't see the date. The way you see the date is you hover over where it says two months ago, and then you see it was the 14th of November. Now I'm going to read the whole thing because it's really, really short, and it's relevant to what I'm going to come back to in a moment. We have been made aware that one of our partners experienced a data breach in 2019. Not them, one of their partners. And a snapshot of our users' non-sensitive information was exposed. 
It does feel like the downplaying it already, isn't it? Non-sensitive. Although we are unaware of any actual misuse of the data, we wanted to provide more clarity and give potentially affected users appropriate advice on how to protect themselves. Now, before I go on with this, I know exactly where this was. If I do a very careful Google search for that, and then I put that in there as well. In fact, you know what? It was in the original article. So the Restore Privacy article has a screen cap from a popular hacking forum dated November 6. Today I'm selling information over 200 million plus DZ users from 2019. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Where this came from, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Now if I find that full story, keep in mind this was November 6. So Deezer's disclosure here was the 14th. So we're talking, what's that, eight days later. Uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look at what people on this hacking forum were saying. And there are, I guess the, the, the direction I'm going here is when Deezer said, uh, we are unaware of any actual, actual misuse of the data. It's like, it is on a hacking forum. It is being sold. You know this because it was eight days before you did the disclosure. What do you think they're going to be doing? Like, are they just keeping it to themselves to look at over a quiet red wine one night? Or are they doing something nasty with it? Yeah, of course they're doing something nasty with it. So I don't like the we're unaware of any misuse. We often see this in data reach notices. And the impression I always have is this is like a bunch of lawyers sitting around a table and they're like, how can we make this seem not as bad as what it actually is? Uh, has anyone seen it get abused yet? You know, Jimbo, you seen it? No, Mary, you seen it? No, okay, we're unaware. We have not seen any abuse. Although we have not seen any actual misuse of the data, we wanted to provide more clarity and give potentially affected users appropriate advice on how to protect themselves. You know what makes potentially affected real? It's like when you see the data. <laughs> it's like, no, that's a real data. It's not potential anymore. Our commitment to you and the security of your personal data is of utmost importance to us. Yada, yada, yada. And we, actively we are actively working to take appropriate action to safeguard the breached data. How do you safeguard it once it's breached? Like, do you write a, write a letter to the hacking forum and ask them to delete it? The information came to light November 8, 2022, which uh, was that the date of the hacking forum post? It looks like it was. Yeah, no, November 6. So really that came to light two days earlier, but yeah, whatever. As a result of our ongoing efforts to ensure the security and integrity of our users' personal information, so it was them being proactive, doing the right thing. Oh, they're the good guys because they, by being proactive, found this <laughs> two days after it appeared on the hacking forum. The data in question has been, had been handled by a third-party partner that we haven't worked with since 2020, and it was this partner that experienced the breach. These security systems remain effective and our own databases are secure, except for the ones that you gave other people, but other than that, it's fine. The exposed data includes basic information, such as first and last names, date of birth, your email address. To be clear, no information regarding passwords or payment details have been discovered. They didn't mention the IP addresses because there are also IP addresses in the data, and IP addresses are PII. As a precautionary measure, we would recommend that you change your password. What? To be clear, no information regarding passwords or payment details have been discovered. We recommend you change your password. 
Okay. <laughs> Pick a horse, man. Like, which which one is it? For more information on protecting your identity, we'd recommend you visit this website. This is where it gets kind of funny. Because this website is the New York Times, and they have linked through to a story here on how to protect your digital privacy. Uh, and it has a number of tips. The first one is, <laughs> search your email address on Have I Been Pwned to cross-reference your email address with hundreds of data breaches. I guess that's good. So anyway, I've loaded this data in and I sent over 400,000 emails, which I thought was a lot until today in Twitter. How's that going? Is this still working? Has nothing crashed? Oh boy. Yeah, it's got a long way to go. So anyway, I sent over 400,000 emails to uh, individual subscribers and have I been part? I think it was about 440,000 emails, about 10% of my subscriber base. And then, of course, lots of people were like, well, I didn't get anything from Deezer. Time and time again, people are going, well, I didn't get anything from Deezer. And I asked publicly, <clears throat> uh, and I asked Scott as well, because, of course, he was in there. It's like, did anybody get anything from Deezer? And everyone's like, no, nobody got anything. Now, that in and of itself was kind of, uh, kind of screwy. Where it got a little bit more interesting as well, where are my notifications here? Because someone sent this to me via Mastodon is, of course, people then reach out to Deezer and they're like, hey, dude, you're like, you've got my data, you never sent me a notification, what's going on? Uh, so their customer service inevitably <laughs> got some messages. Now, someone here on, uh, on the Mastodon has said they contacted Deezer and Deezer gave them a reply. It says, thank you for your message. I apologize for the confusion here. Apparently, he's the one who's confused. What did his first message say? Oh, okay, so his message to them was, how come you still have my data? You can check that email on howamperm.com. It clearly says the data is searchable in the Deezer data region 2019. If data was stolen from 2019, how come there's my email if my account was supposed to be deleted back in 2015? And we'll come back to that too, because that's an interesting one. So anyway, their support response says, your account under email address was deleted in 2015. You would need to contact the entity informing you why you were included in these messages. And that entity is me. <laughs> so he's contacted me. And time and time again, I, I saw the same thing. Like people saying, I had deleted my Deezer data, deleted my account, and I'm in the breach. How come I'm there? Now, that is a very valid question to put to Deezer. I guess it's also a valid question to put to me, but I'm not your personal lookup service. I did do that for several people just to try and get to the bottom of this. And what we found <clears throat> is it looks to me, and it's not quite this explicit, but just to simplify it for, for broadcast, it looks to me like here's how deletion worked in Deezer. If you would like your account deleted, we are going to change the status of it to deleted. Job done. <laughs> I still got the email address and the name and everything in there. But the username... In fact, I've probably got one of these Deezer accounts open here. Uh, you can turn that sound off. I've probably got open in my just massive array of different things here. Here we go. Here's one of the files from Deezer. Uh, there are a lot of records here where the username is just set to anonymous, which is interesting because how can you... Are there no unique constraints on the email? Anyway, oh, on the username rather. So the username is set to anonymous. But, uh, but still sitting there alongside... Uh, real world accounts, which is kind of 
kind of nuts. So soft delete. I think there's some interesting material to write up on here. Soft deletes versus actual deletes. And then the other thing is, yeah, regardless of throwing the partner under the bus, obviously there was a time when Deezer entrusted partners with data. Now, maybe it was they entrusted the partner with uh, with a backup of the data. I think I saw that mentioned somewhere. So how do they honor deletion requests? And it's a bigger industry problem too. I mean, how do you honor a deletion request when you might have rotating backups between cloud services, between possible still old school physical offsite backups? How do you honor a deletion request? It's a, it's a hard problem. How you don't do it is soft delete because that really doesn't do it at all. Hmm. Yeah, look at the comments in here. <clears throat> Cyber PSYBA Security says, question, I use unique email on my own domain for every account. Can I search Have I Been Pwned? Our domain is similar. Uh, yes, you can search for domains in Have I Been Pwned. I hid that feature under the link at the top, which says Domain Search, which Scott has just answered from. So thanks, Scott. Uh, <clears throat> few people there looking at the domains. Domain searches are interesting because often people learn things like, even though they never had sales at example.com, there's a whole bunch of accounts that are sales at because they just get created by random people or something, end up in spamless and so on. Uh, um, yeah, Stephen Jones says the, the monkeys covering their eyes approach, which seems to be the, the decent thing. So I'm sympathetic to organizations that have data breaches, particularly when it is a partner that's cocked up, which seems like it's the case here. But in a case like this where they just don't want to own it, I am curious to see how people go talking to their local regulators. And of course, these are being French as well and being well and truly HQ'd within the realms of GDPR, let alone all the individuals in there who then want to claim their rights to be forgotten and rights to be angry. There is a provision under GDPR, which is right to be angry, as I understand it. Uh, I'm sure that many people are exercising that. So I would like to see some traction around having them held accountable because it. I think this is the thing I get with a lot of this, and we're going to have the same discussion with Twitter in a moment, that it just feels like there is too frequently a lack of accountability after a data breach. Sometimes we see it done really, really well. I think um, Medibank here in Australia, when they got the absolutely horrific ransom last, late last year, were very good on the accountability front. There are few noteworthy exceptions where it's actually done well. This is not one of them. It wasn't done well. Hmm. Uh, as Scott has commented, is deleted equals true. It's pretty much right. Christian says, Deezer might have deleted it, but did the third party. I think there's a question of how the data flowed from Deezer to the third party. So was the third party, I got the impression it was some sort of a backup service. So were, was it, I got, I feel that it is like Deezer soft deleting and then feeding that soft deletion through as part of the corpus of the broader set of records. We also come back to this this age-old thing about it is harder to properly delete data than to keep it. Plus, the data is kind of valuable to the organization on a longer-term basis. Another fun fact, I didn't tweet this. Uh, as part of the, the usual breach verification process, I looked for enumeration vectors. Uh, they have a very handy API to allow you to enumerate accounts. So there is literally, when you go through and you sign up and you put in an email address, it does an async call. It posts the email address to an endpoint and it comes back and tells you whether the email address exists or not. So mass enumeration of Deezer accounts would be really, really, really easy, which feels like a really gentle segue 
to the Twitter incident. Um, oh, last thing here, look at my notes. It did push Have I Been Pwned past 12 billion records as well. So we're getting very close to the 12 billion. Just billion is a nice round number. Remember when I hit the first billion, it was on stage at NDC in Oslo and it was like a big event. It's like push the button, make it go live. Wow, you know, like now we're at, uh, what does that make it? Uh, 10 figures. And geez, now not only we pushed through 12 billion, but looking at the figures here, we're now getting very close to 12 and a half billion courtesy of Twitter. Before the Twitter, what else is in here? Uh, Stephen says, I just checked my Outlook. When that notification went off, thinking it was mine. <laughs> no, sorry, that was me. I should have muted that. Mm. Define is in Spain, finally catching live. Awesome. <clears throat> okay, Christian, here's his question. So my question, how long does it take for Have a Been Pwned to process all the outgoing emails? You sort of answered it earlier since you needed to check if it was still going. Well, Have I Been Pwned is an interesting collection of what is now somewhat legacy code? I mean, it's going to be 10 years. It'll be 10 years in, I guess, October, November that I started building it and 10 years on the 4th of uh, 4th of December since it's, it's go live. And I never really expected much to happen. <laughs> so I made a lot of decisions, as we all have done when we've built code before, that worked at the time and were easy. Now, some decisions have actually worked out really, really well. The table storage decision was epic. I mean, that's, geez, I can't believe that we're now approaching 12.5 billion records and I still never, ever see any problems whatsoever with table storage and it still costs just about nothing. The notification process, less so. It, it is a bit of a clunky one in that it is uh, literally a process that runs sequentially through all the email addresses it drops them into a message queue in Azure storage, and then there are uh, Azure functions which look for changes on those queues, pick them up and send them. So once they're in the queue, they get sent really, really quickly. But the process of putting them in the queue can be slow. So I would say that it's probably doing, it's probably doing, a, it, it is, it's a six figure number per hour, but like a couple of hundred thousand or something per hour. In a way, I'm not, too upset about that bit simply because all of this then gets sent out through SendGrid. And what I've found over time is if you have a sudden massive influx of email that goes through there, you do end up with some providers getting a little bit upset. They think it's a little bit spammy and too much stuff ends up in junk. So I'm okay with it sort of gently going out over time. This doesn't slow down things like if you're trying to manage your API key and you need to get an email, uh, that goes straight into the queue and one of those Azure functions picks it up, bam, sends it, no problems. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit slow, a little bit legacy. It is something that I'll, uh, I'll work on over time. It's almost <laughs> somewhat to-do list. Uh, Christian has not gotten any emails yet. All right, so just in case it helps, uh, in the queuing, I can see where it's up to. We, we are up to the Fs. So I'm not sure what your email address is, Christian, but we are up to the Fs. Uh, you will have one when we get up to whatever letter your name starts with. Do check your junk as well. I still find too much goes to junk. Hmm. Okay, so Twitter. Let's talk about Twitter. Now, I'll, I'll start at the end. I had a, a, a chat with a, an InfoSec journal just before I started this video. Uh, and she sort of Im implied that Earlier on, when this data, when news of this data was circulating, this is last month, a lot of people didn't take it 
too seriously or wanted to see more evidence. And I was one of those people, and I want to explain why, because Twitter's a bit of a funny beast at the moment. The <laughs> Just the fact I'm going to talk about this upsets some people. I literally had messages from people saying, I'm upset that you're talking about Twitter because I don't think it's become a very nice place. So, well, it's topical, though. <laughs> There's still a lot of people there. So Elon's done some weird shit, let's be honest. Uh I think some of it I don't mind. I, I like seeing the view count on tweets. I've said this before. <clears throat> I think it's what the person was upset about. I'm upset that you like something that he has done. So, <laughs> doesn't mean I like him. I just like what he... Yeah, anyway. But he's obviously done some really weird shit. Most noteworthy of all, I think, was that banning of the linking to social media profiles. So Scott and I were in the cabin in Norway, up at the snow after some number of beverages <laughs> and about to go to bed and Scott's like, holy shit, like, look at this. Like he can no longer post links to social media platforms <clears throat> and uh, other social media platforms. I'm like, this is just so stupid. Uh, I've had some beer. I look at it in the morning. And by the time I got up in the morning, it all rolled back. So I think that was like the epitome of stupid. There are obviously many other aspects of the whole thing which other people don't like and it affects some people more than me. I personally have not had any more abuse. It seems that I'm not of a demographic where a lot of the abuse has been coming from, even though I do get a lot of abuse, but not because of my gender or my sexuality or things like that, just because people don't like some of the things I say, I guess. <laughs> Takes me back to the gab days, the gab commentary. <clears throat> anyway, that's been fine. The only, I did find some uh, some latency, some problems with it a couple of days ago. I think other people saw this too, saw a bunch of tweets, but other than that, it's still been performing fine for me. Like, I've just not had issues. So... <clears throat> My experience, and your mileage may vary, is it's mostly just been the same stuff. <clears throat> and I have a Mastodon account, and I'm posting more and more stuff over there. Uh, but I've got 200 plus thousand followers on Twitter. Like, that's where the audience is. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not just the InfoSec people. It's the tech people and the developers and the car people and the home automation people. And, you know, I like that diversity of Twitter. So, anyway, I have found that there is a corpus of people, and it may be in a minority as well, that are very willing to take anything that reinforces their own confirmation bias, which we all do to some extent, but anything negative about Twitter is shouted from the rooftops, anything positive is suppressed. And when we saw this news circulating about the data breach, First of all, it was very clear, and I'm going to use the words breach and scrape a little bit interchangeably, then we'll define that later on. It is very clear, and it was very clear uh, a month ago, that this dated back to well before Elon turned up. So this was dating back to the, the 2021 period somewhere. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about large corpuses of data circulating during last year, but before he came on board. So clearly, this wasn't something that happened under his reign. I think there's other problems related to this under his reign, which we'll get to. So it predated that. But people were getting very angry, and I did see multiple, multiple times people say, you know, this is what happens when you're like, you fire all your security team or they walk out or whatever it is that they want to, or however it is they want to view it. Uh, so I was super cautious about that. Also, we see fabricated data all the time, and the samples that were put out there could easily have either been fabricated or have been the entire lot. It could have been just a very, very small lot. And someone's like, yeah, I got 400. Somehow the 400 million became 200 million. Not entirely sure why. I think it's the same corpus. 
but it could have been fabricated, so we needed to see more data to actually have confidence. Fast forward to two days ago, and people started sending it to me. It's like, yep, it's it's here. It's on a popular hacking forum. Links, 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 and it's just data's turning up all over the place. Now, the bit where I, I suspect we do have problems <laughs> under Elon is no journalists that I've heard of, and I've been reading a lot and speaking to a bunch, have been able to get a response from Twitter on this. So no one has been able to get a statement from them. Now, this is unusual for, for many reasons. Number one, there was a Twitter breach that went into Scrape, <clears throat> that went into Have I Been Pwned several months ago. Now, let's just check. If I go back through the Who's Been Pwned list, there was about 5 million. Well, I think it ended up being about 6 million. Uh, where are we? It's down here. <clears throat> uh yeah, Jan 2022, vulnerability allowed them to scrape it, 6.6 .6 million. Uh, Twitter did put out communication around this. So August 5, an incident impacting some accounts and private information on Twitter. So they put out a statement on it. I had discussions with folks in Twitter at the time as well. Uh, I coordinated the release on Have I Been Pwned with their communication to make sure that their messaging was out there. So they have in the past made comments about scraped data. Facebook has made comments about it. Uh, Clubhouse has made comments about it. Uh, any platform, any major social platform I can think of that's had like scraping incidents where large amounts of data have been dumped have made disclosures about it, statements. Here's what we know. Here's what we've done about it. In the case of this Twitter incident, it looks like this dates back to somewhere in 2021. There's a, a Hacker One incident that has appeared in January of last year, so a year ago now, which disclosed the vector, uh, passed an email address in to a password, or was it the other way around? Yeah, it's passed an email address in uh, to do a password reset and it will come back and it will give you the username uh, of the account. So they've disclosed that and it's been fixed in January last year. There's a clear narrative about this, which is really pretty much in the public domain anyway, so I don't understand why Twitter can't make a, a public statement on it. Now, as I was just discussing with the journalists, are they not making a public statement because either Elon's fired everyone who does PR or they've worked, walked out? I don't know. Or is it a conscious decision? Because we've seen lots of organisations have security incidents and have very, very bizarre communication around it by design because they've got the room full of lawyers giving all the crazy advice. So I don't know if this is a deliberate conscious thing or not, but it sucks. They should have a statement about this. So I got this data and I've gone through it all, gone through it all. <laughs> I've extracted the email addresses, 211 million. Did I say 211? I think it was. What's the exact number here? 211, 524,284 email addresses, including one of mine. <laughs> so, um, now, it was really weird because I thought that's, that's quite strange. That is an email address I have not used for a long time. But this is meant to be scraped in... 2021 like why is it in there uh, so of course I went and pulled my record out and what I discovered is someone made a Twitter account with a very similar handle to mine and the name on the Twitter account is just my old email address and because I just regex out all the email addresses from a dump like this it's actually picked that up so I got a separate thing I need to do now which is go and report the account because it's got an old email address and it's got zero followers and zero tweets it's obviously someone just messing with me uh, and I've only found out now, many years later. 
Many of you on here will be getting emails because there are over a million, uh, a million of you from my 4.4 million corpus of subscribers uh, who are going to get an email. So uh, yeah, congratulations, I guess. Now, breach or scrape. Here's the other topic that comes up all the time. So I wrote uh, a piece some time ago, uh, Troy Hunt, breach or scrape. I called it something a little bit different to this. Uh, when is a scrape a breach? December 2021. Now, this was after, this was after, I think it was the Gravatar one, wasn't it? Because Gravatar got scraped. And I find people getting very angry on Twitter of all places, believe it or not, getting very angry when someone talks about, let's say the Twitter incident now, uh, and it's phrased as a breach. Like, it's not a breach, it's just scraped data. So, and I think that that is a disproportionate response to the actual issue. It's disproportionate insofar as I don't know that it matters too much whether it's scraped or whether it's breached. I, I, th I feel that the more important metric is, has this data been used in a fashion other than which it was intended to be used? In fact, I put a definition down the bottom here, didn't I? What I do? I said, I would like to define it. Here's, here's a modern breach definition. A data breach occurs when information is obtained by an unauthorised party in a fashion in which it was not intended to be made available. Now, whether that's via SQL injection or insecure direct object reference or hammering the bejesus out of an API which is doing something that it's not meant to do, I don't think matters that much. But we're adults. We have words. Like we can explain what's happened and this is what Twitter should be doing. Oh, they can say it's not a breach if they want, I don't care. But they should be able to explain how it happened, which is that it was scraped. Now, if we look at specifically at the Twitter incident, you know, how much does it matter? How much does it matter that someone's email address could be associated to their profile? I'm going to say it depends. Uh, how much would it matter for me? People know I'm on Twitter. You can find my email address. It's not hard. Uh, I think even email addresses, we probably get a little bit disproportionately concerned about them circulating. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, my email address is private. Well, then how do you get emails? <laughs> you only get emails by giving the address to someone else. It is not like some other piece of data which you don't want to give to other people. I've got all sorts of ideas going through my head about what that might be. But there is a degree of publicness about your email address because not only do you have to give it another, to other people in order to get emails, a little bit like a phone number, <clears throat> uh, but it will then pass through various different points and be exposed to various different parties and relays and whatever else it may be. So it's not exactly a sensitive private piece of data, but I do think you should have the right to control where it goes. <clears throat> now, what does it mean if you can associate, because really this is the core of the Twitter 200 million breached breached scraped data. It is the association of email addresses to Twitter profiles. Where it's going to matter more is people who consciously did not want to have that association. So there are many accounts out there that may not be clearly named individuals. I mean, mine is, it's Troy Hunt, you can look me up, I'm a person. There are lots of people out there who might want to be, you know, the white rabbit or whatever else it may be. And they have every right to do that on Twitter, less so on Facebook. If they want to have an account which is not person identifiable, then good on them. And this is where the risk is because now we've got a situation where if that email address was thrown at that API, and we'll talk about where that might have come from in a moment too, <coughs> the risk we've got 
is that an email address, which could well be personally identifiable, is now associated to the account and they may never have wanted to have that association. And that is the problem. Now, where did the email addresses come from? When I pump this into Heavenly Pwn, I'll, I'll give you guys the exact figure here. 98.119% of the email addresses in that Twitter corpus were already in Heavenly Pwn. That is a rounding error of everything. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, it's everything. So everyone pwned in Twitter has been pwned before. Inevitably, whoever exploited this API and put together this list got the email addresses from the same sorts of sources as I get the data from to go and have a been pwned. Now, I'm going to go through and run some analysis later on today. It's still only, what are we at, 8.30 in the morning here. My guess is it's going to be from credential stuffing lists, so things like Collection 1. Uh, there are billions of email addresses floating around just in those credential stuffing lists. Uh, they're easy to get your hands on. And then there's things like the data aggregators, things like verification to IO uh, floating around all over the place. There's lots of places that people can go and get email addresses from and then throw them against vulnerable APIs. So come back to the Deezer situation. They've had a proper data breach, so you don't need to do this. But if you wanted to build up a corpus of Deezer users, you could just go through and enumerate that API with a great big list of email addresses from credential stuffing lists. So... <clears throat> That's inevitably where they've come from. I'm going to take a sample set of data out of Have I Been Pwned later on. Uh, or maybe I'll just throw like 100,000 records or something at it uh, of the Twitter data. Throw out to Have I Been Pwned and then it will come back and it will give me a breakdown of where those accounts uh, have appeared in which breaches. So we might learn something new then. Okay, <clears throat> let's have a look at the comments here. And I, and I am being a little bit selective because I've got a lot of people here today and I'm trying to find stuff that's uh, the most relevant to everyone here. Um, let's have a look. Twitter stuff, Twitter stuff, Musk stuff. Um, <laughs> Christian wants me to keep talking for another hour before he gets home. Peter, not that strange since there is no more comms department in Twitter since Elon took over, just like Tesla and SpaceX don't have any. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Ozark just got the HOBP email. Thanks. Congratulations. Uh, and Trionic Steve. Yep, just got the Twitter breach. Um, where are we up to? I suspect that Trinic Steve's email does not start with a T because we're only up to the I's. Not even halfway through the alphabet yet. Crikey. That'll go for a while. Uh, Brennan says, is there a date stamp on the breach? So I have just put the 1st of January, 2021. Uh, I don't know what date. I couldn't find any reference to a date. I couldn't find anything in the data to suggest a date. I'm not sure it matters too much because it was scraped then and then started being sold last year and then appeared today. Uh, it's just a, it's just a best guess, mate. Um, <clears throat> Stephen is overdue. I have a been pwned email. When we get to the S's, Stephen, <laughs> you might get one. We'll see. Christian's got his. He's probably a C. So there you go. Um, now, Brandon says, um, well and truly speaking, my domain to get pinged as I believe I changed my email that year. So... <clears throat> Domain search is another interesting one. So there are, I think I said 60-something thousand emails that have to get sent now to people monitoring domains. And um, that, that's interesting because you sort of go, well, how important is that? So being conscious that there are people like me that just have email addresses on my own domain and I'm a, a sole person pretty much, there are <clears throat> small businesses, there are multinationals. Many of the domain subscribers and have been pwned are big companies. 
I need to run these stats again, but last time I checked, it was like more than half of the Fortune 500 is monitoring their domains and have it been pwned. Now they're going to get emails saying 3,000 uh, email addresses on your domain have appeared in the Twitter breach, which is obviously going to be quite substantial. And I'm kind of curious as to what organizations like that do. <clears throat> now, just because I spent 14 years at the place, I often use Pfizer as an example. So, yeah, Pfizer, massive, massive multinational Fortune 500, all the rest of it. There's going to be thousands of people there. Now, what would the folks there do if they found thousands of their people with a Twitter account? I don't think it puts the organization at risk in any way insofar as it's not disclosing. Let's say if there are passwords in there. You know, there's always the concern about password reuse. It's like, okay, well, do you have corporate assets <clears throat> where you've maybe reused the password from this data breach which has just exposed it? That's a risk. Where I find it's it's a bit more interesting, and, and Twitter, I suspect, wouldn't be a problem because it would fit within the scope of acceptable use of many organizations. But what I've found in the past is very often this is like the canary in the coal mine for some organizations where they go, hang on a moment, like people have accounts on these services. Perfect example, Dropbox. When the Dropbox data breach went in, an organization suddenly found out there's a whole bunch of people in the company using their corporate email address to access Dropbox, which in all likelihood is not a sanctioned cloud storage solution. And they're like, hang on a moment. So you're inside the company and you're putting your corporate things there. Adult websites are fun. Let me qualify that. <laughs> Adult website data breaches are fun. Because there's always people, not just in corporates, but like in government and law enforcement, with email addresses on it. And then the organization gets a notification. I remember one case in particular where, where someone got in touch with me and they said, oh, thanks very much for loading this data. Uh, we just discovered a couple of guys in the warehouse are signed up to like every single porn site. Um, we need to take their computer away. <laughs> you sort of go... I feel like you should have other ways of identifying that you've got folks in your organization browsing porn on the work machines. Like there, there should be other things that might have tipped you off about that. Um, electronic things, just to be clear. So domain modifications, uh, many, many different use cases. Sarah says, my email is me at, then my domain. Can I always tell spammers when they send an email address starting with hi me? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Hit me with any more Twitter questions or things, but I do have other stuff. Two other things. Uh, ChatGPT. So everyone has been hearing about ChatGPT. A lot of people talking about it. I spoke about it last week as well, where uh, I think last week I had tried using it against a spammer and just could not get the bite I wanted. Because you want a bite, don't you? Spammer, scammer, and I use those two terms pretty interchangeably because a lot of the times a pretty fine line, I think, between them. I, I did have someone spam me via LinkedIn. Now, I don't, I've got a blog post, a long-standing draft blog post about when it's spam and when it's not spam. And one of the things that bugs the hell out of me, in my big long list of things that bug the hell out of me, with LinkedIn is that I get a lot of messages from LinkedIn which I would classify as spam. Unsolicited. I didn't go out and ask for any information. Promotional. They're trying to sell a product sent on mass. Clearly, I'm one of many people that received it. And for the longest time, I would go through <clears throat> and I would report it to LinkedIn. And I go, hey, I go, this is spam. Uh, and I'd get an automatic response from them. 
And the response was always, uh, we do not tolerate spam, period. That was the word they used. They literally wrote the word, period. They didn't just put like a full stop. Uh, we will investigate this. And every single time they come back and go, we've discovered this didn't violate our terms of use and it's not spam. Because inevitably this is in mail that people are paying. See, if, if LinkedIn gets paid for it, it's not spam. <laughs> it's still spam as far as I'm concerned. But LinkedIn is a particularly annoying one for me. Also, if I get spammed from my personal inbox, I just drop it into the send spammer to password purgatory folder, and that then kicks off the whole password purgatory thing. Google it if you're unfamiliar with it. So this time, January 2, four days ago now, I was like, all right, this spam we're going to do something with. So Vamshi, Vamshi loves me, emails me, LinkedIn messages me. Uh, and look, I don't care about really throwing Vamshi under the bus here. <laughs> I don't care about taking his spam and putting it in a tweet. I was waiting for someone to say, you're being unfair to Vamshi. You shouldn't dox or out Vamshi in this way. I don't care. Troy, shall we catch up? Sales outreach could be a pain if it's not streamlined with an engagement tool and dedicated person behind it. I have a good feeling that this could come really handy to you. This could come really handy to you. You know, this guy needs this guy needs an AI to get his grammar right. <laughs> this could come really handy to you and your organization. Shall we discuss over a quick call? Thanks and regards, Vamji. So I head off to ChatGPT. <laughs> I love this. If you like sitting in the car, listen to this as a podcast or something later on, I really hope you find this entertaining because I find it fun just to talk about it. So I go to ChatGPT and I said, write an entertaining response to a spammer pitching sales outreach that wastes their time but doesn't seem too stupid. So ChatGPT comes back. I can't read the whole thing. It's so long. I'll give you the gist of it. Sure, here's a response you might consider sending to a spammer pitching sales outreach. Now, this is, this is AI-generated response. Thanks for reaching out about your sales outreach services. I'm always looking for new ways to increase my sales, so I'm interested in learning more. However... Before I can commit to anything, I have a few questions. First of all, how exactly do your services work? I'm curious about the specific techniques and strategies you use to reach out to potential customers. Secondly, can you provide some case studies or testimonials from satisfied clients? I like to see real-world examples of how your services have helped businesses like mine. Finally, I'm a bit skeptical of any quick-fix solution to increasing sales. Can you explain how your services can help me sustainably grow my business over the long term? Looking forward to hearing back from you with more information. Best regards, insert your name here. Now, Bart went off. I sent it to Vamshi, and I waited. Now, I thought that was a good response because if anyone knew the way I normally communicate, they'd go, this hasn't come from him. But Vamshi's a spammer. He doesn't know how I normally communicate. He's just sent this to a gazillion people. The following day, Vamshi replies, Kindly help me with your email ID, capital I, little d. He so needs a chatbot. I shall send the details in there. I don't want to give him my email address. So I went back to ChatGPT and I asked them to give me a good excuse for why I can't do that because I want to keep the discussion on LinkedIn. 
Now, this is where I think ChatGPT gets really interesting, the way you can thread a discussion together. So I said, you know, give me a good response. So it comes back and says, thank you for your message. I prefer to keep communication on LinkedIn as it is a professional platform and allows me to keep track of your interactions. Therefore, if you have any further questions or comments, please respond on LinkedIn. Thank you for understanding. It's too short. We need more substance. So I go back to ChatGPT. I said, make it longer. I'd like to waste more of his time. I'll read this quickly. You'll get the gist of it. So ChatGPT comes back. This is what I sent back to Vamshi. Thank you for reaching out to me. I appreciate your interest in my email address, but I prefer to keep communication on LinkedIn as it is a professional platform and it allows me to keep track of your interactions. In addition, I find that LinkedIn provides more organized, spell with a Z though, could they not work that out? And efficient way to connect with professionals and exchange information. I understand that you may be interested in sending me marketing material, but I receive a large volume of emails on a daily basis. True that. And I find it difficult to keep track of them all. By communicating on LinkedIn, I'm able to easily reference past conversations so up to date with the latest information. I hope you can understand my preference for communication on LinkedIn. If you have any further questions or comments, please feel free to respond on this platform. Thank you for understanding. It is like fishing, isn't it? You, know, you just want to just keep him on the hook. He comes back. He actually came back with a fairly long response. Uh, and the long response had a whole bunch of his marketing crap and he had a document in there as well. And when I say Mark, I'll just read the marketing crap because this literally sounds like it came out of the bullshit generator. If you've never used the bullshit generator, just Google bullshit generator. It's amazing. We're associated with various industries all around globally. Vamshi, you've got to use the chatbot, mate. Get the spelling and grammar right. With various industries all around globally, in order to maximize their time. You know what else is weird? Now he's spelling his eyes with a Z, and before he was spelling his eyes with an S. Now, some people did say, is he using ChatGPT, another AI? And all we're doing is we're just like fighting two AI bots together. I don't think that's the case because of his later messages. Anyway, all around globally, in order to maximize their target reach by improving the efficiency of automation sales and marketing operations with an effective B2B strategy. And then it's just more crap. Uh, so I get chat GPT and I go back into it. And I'm like, look, just give us lots of buzzwords and uh, create questions you'll find difficult to answer. Oh, this one's long. I'm just going to take some of the snippets from here. So it's things like, <laughs> I like this bit. So this is chat GPT, the message I sent back to Vamshi. Could you provide more information about your proprietary gamification framework for customer journey mapping and how it aligns with our hyper-personalized omni-channel conversion funnel optimization strategy? We're particularly interested in learning about your artificial intelligence-powered predictive analytics platform and how it leverages big data and machine learning algorithms to optimize ROI and drive acquisition through a data-driven agile approach. I love this. This is so much better than the bullshit generator because it actually puts it in context. <laughs> I'm just looking at someone replying to that tweet. He's like, chatbots talking to chatbots? Maybe. Maybe. Except he comes back and he really wants to talk. This guy really, really wants to talk to me. And I'm not going to talk to him. So eventually, I ask ChatGPT to come up with a really good excuse. And I want it Crocodile Dundee themed, because contextual. It comes back. And I said, mate, and it gave, it gave, like, gave me one answer. And like, no, 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 like, make it more Australian. So chat GPT it generates. Hi there, mate. Sorry, I, I'm, even, I'm doing more Australian accent. Sorry, I can't chat right now. 
but I'm in the middle of a bit of a sticky situation. You see, I'm out here in the Australian outback with my mate Mick Crocodile Dundee, and we've stumbled, <laughs> stumbled upon a nest of saltwater crocodiles. These buggers can grow up to 20 feet long, and they're not known for their friendly disposition. Mick and I are doing our best to fend them off, but it's a tough battle. We've got our knives and our wits about us. But these crocodiles are no joke. I'm afraid I won't be able to chat until we've either captured or chased off every last one of these scaly beasts. Hopefully it won't be too long, but in the meantime, I'll be a bit preoccupied with survival. Hang in there, mate. I think at that point, Vamshi kind of cottoned on that he wasn't going to be able to sell anything. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'd, we all like to see them angry, don't we? He replies, hey, I don't think we have anything to discuss. You're making fun of me by cutting out your messages, capital M, Vamshi. And also you've got two spaces between out and yours, which is a stupid act. I am not offended and you're good at it. Anyway, and that was it. So, <laughs> I would like to find a more automated way of doing this. Uh, now I'm conscious as well. Like I am doing it under my real LinkedIn profile. I don't want to make too much of a habit of it under LinkedIn. Um, at some point in time, I can see someone make a complaint about me and then LinkedIn goes, yeah, actually, he's being a dick. And he, yeah. What's in the comments here? Uh, Christian Scott of Bromancing. Enjoy uh, NDC security in, uh, when is that? It's only in about a week, isn't it? Ten days, something like that. Tourist says, yeah, I never saw any change in spam with LinkedIn, but the solution was dedicated email with strict filter rules for normal users, basically 99% spam my experience. You know, I could always just remove the ability to have in-mails on LinkedIn. But the problem is I get a lot of good stuff there. Like I get a lot of genuine, interesting stuff there. And, and like LinkedIn is a very different beast to Twitter and Facebook and all that, but there's a lot of valuable stuff that comes through there. And at the end of the day, Maybe it's like a couple of spam messages a day. It's not hard to process out. I think it's more just the principle of it and the inability of LinkedIn to define it as spam. And yes, we know why, but it just feels shitty. Anyway. Okay. James. James has got his email. Congratulations. Yeah, we must be. I'm guessing we're at about the Jays. Where are we now? Uh, yes, we're at the Jays. We, we're at the uh, the Jonoses at the moment. So if you are a Jonos or a Jonos, uh, you may be next. Number plate recognition. All right. Something a little bit different. Uh, and it has evolved overnight since I tweeted this. So I'm surprised I've had no hate mail on this, actually. I wonder if it's because all the angry people went to Mastodon. <laughs> I don't know. So... Um, we live, uh, Scott's been here, he knows. We live in a, a, a nice spot and there are some nice houses and some nice cars and there is some crime, not a lot of crime. It's, it's a very safe area for, for all intents and purposes. But occasionally there are, there are break-ins. And particularly in this area, there's only sort of one road that comes into this area and then there must be, if, if I had to take a guess, I don't know, a couple of hundred houses, let's say. Uh, they're all on the water, so they have a street frontage and a water frontage, so you know, sort of access from both sides. And occasionally there are break-ins. I can't recall anything major. And when I say, like, I still don't want someone with a knife breaking into my house, but it's not like, yes, and then this person got shot. Uh, that generally doesn't happen in Australia. That's, that's a different problem in a different part of the world. But 
There'll be break-ins, uh, minor theft. I had someone many years ago not actually break in, tried to get in the doors, but the doors were locked and I had the security camera footage of it, but they stole like some cushions and some flippers, you know, there's like stupid random stuff. Occasionally a car gets stolen, that has happened a few times recently, usually because they get into the house and then they get the keys. Uh, it's not some sort of um, advanced cyber hacking of the vehicles, in part because it's usually kids doing it, like legally kids. And very often, certainly in the broader Gold Coast, in which we have 600,000 people or something now, it feels like every week there is a story about like two 13-year-olds stealing a car and, you know, making a run for it. So it's petty crime in a way. Now, we've got a, a community WhatsApp group here uh, and there's there's often discussion there, which frankly, a lot of the time gets a bit stupid. Like there'll be someone, you can imagine the demographic of some of these people, you know, someone's sitting there, they've seen someone out there they don't like the look of and then and there are WhatsApps like, I saw two people on roller skates who looked suspicious. <laughs> it's like, well, this is literally what happened recently. Was it because of the roller skates? Like if it was roller blades, would you be, what if they were on a skateboard, would it be okay? But then of course there are actual break-ins uh, and a lot of people here have security cameras uh, and we end up with like grainy footage because they're normally shitty security cameras or, or they're sharing footage in the way that I imagine my parents would share security camera footage, which is they have taken their phone and they have videoed what's displayed on a security screen and it's just become grainy crap. So it happens a bit, people are aware. And uh, yesterday I saw one of these messages pop up in the WhatsApp and it was from the guy like literally over the road here. So when I say literally over the road, we were talking maybe 40 meters from here. Uh, and he had videoed a, uh, a vehicle driving past and it was, uh, it was a, a ute. If you're in America, you might call it a pickup. Uh, dual cab sort of thing. So it had four young guys sitting in there. And I'm not going to share the photos because it could be completely innocent. And so far, I haven't been broken into. I haven't had anything stolen. But bear with me because we're going somewhere with this. So if I was to describe these young folks, the driver sitting in there, no shirt, someone sitting behind him wearing a hoodie, it was hot yesterday. It's a bit unusual. In the other side of the vehicle, there's two people. One person looks like he's clutching a pillow. I don't know why. <laughs> he's got a pillow on his lap. Uh, there's some stuff in in the rear tray. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, I said, uh, maybe it's nothing. So I go and pull my ubiquity footage. And I've got a lot of ubiquity cameras here now. And we're going to talk about the legality cameras here as well, because this is where I expected people to lose their mind, and they haven't. Pull the ubiquity cameras, and I've got very good 4K footage of this vehicle driving past. I had the garage open. I had my E63S AMG there and the R35 GTR. They're nice cars. And whenever anyone sees the GTR, like when I'm out and about or something, they're very excited. There's camera phones and things. And it's great. That's really good fun. I love that. Less fun when you see someone drive past with a car full of young blokes turn around, come back, and then drive past again really slow. And in the video footage, you can see as this guy is driving past, the driver, he's watching it all the way through. Like his head's turning, looking directly at the car. So I got this really good footage. I got it from um, the uh, PTZ camera. So it's that massive, big, black, obnoxious one I've tweeted about before. Got some really good footage from there. Got some footage from the doorbell as well. Lots of good footage 
of the side of the car. And then a, we're in here with this thread with neighbours. Actually, I wonder if anything updated overnight. Um, and there's a bunch of people sort of going, you know, can can we get the uh, can we get things like license plates? You know, uh, I was just around there trying to get a pick of the plates, miss them. Um, I'm standing outside, whatever number here, uh, waiting for them to try and you know at least get a license plate number because then you can. Either you can proactively report that to the police, and I don't know if they do anything. It's like, hey, someone just drove past. <laughs> they look suspicious. Or at least you have that if an incident happens later on. <laughs> just some of the responses here. Bringing to your attention, young siblings of these criminals are being used to climb through doggy doors to gain access. Some insurance companies will not cover you if this access is available. All right, well, we don't have that problem. Anywho, so um, I... I had this idea some time ago, because there's been other incidents like this as well, where I would like to be able to collect the license plate numbers. Now, let's pause here and talk about what you can and can't do, not just in Australia, but in our state. I understand, based on some of the angry people who were on Twitter at the time, that there are parts of the world where you cannot have security numbers in, or security cameras, rather, in public places. That seems to be the implication from some people. Uh, and that may be true. Now, just for context, let me explain how it is here in this state of Australia. Uh, and I actually think this is very reasonable. So, oh, why didn't that work? I cannot load the Office of the Information Commissioner. <laughs> I'll just quote the bit here. What they've said here is, uh, you cannot use security cameras to record people without their consent in places where they would expect to be private, such as bedrooms, bathrooms, and change rooms. Now, that seems pretty reasonable. <laughs> Those places should be off limits. In the longer narrative here and in other places I went and just checked, just to be very, very careful, is that when it is pointing into a public location, such as out on the road, that is within the scope of how we ex expect cameras to be used. Uh, if it is pointing at neighbours, so one of the examples they give in there, if, you know, if it's pointing at like your neighbour's backyard and their kids are running around, and they're unhappy with that, then they really should come and talk to you and say, I'm unhappy with you, like filming my children in my backyard. And that would be reasonable as well. In this particular case, it's pointing at somewhere clearly visible from the road. Uh, and we've also got a good neighbourhood where people are literally exchanging camera footage with each other purely for the purposes of trying to either avoid crime or catch criminals after it happens. So we have no problems with the recording here. Now, I, I, I sort of give some snarky comments sometimes because people then say, yeah, but you're recording people's number plates. In Australia, we put the number plates on the outside of the vehicle and they're publicly facing so that other people can see them. <laughs> this is the way number plates work. If you're upset about that, then you don't understand number plates. So we can have cameras there. We can look at number plates. We can record. So what I really want to do, this is going to be one of my next home automation projects, is I want to capture number plates. And I'd really like to be able to look for anomalous patterns. Now, I've since learned there's some other really, really cool things I can do as well, such as if we drive home with our car and it recognises our car based on the number plate, then you might yeah, open the carport door or I don't know, turn the lights on if it's dark or something like that. I feel there are lots of different ways we could identify anomalous behaviour. Uh, particularly if, if we do have a case where we see something suspicious and has that person driven past before. I'd love to be able to figure that out. 
So anyway, I've got a cupboard full of ubiquity stuff. There's like access points and cameras and everything. And I find a G4 Pro, which the PTZ had replaced beforehand. And I'm like, okay, what can we do with this? Uh, I'm going to need a really long network cable. So I duck out quickly by a 40 meter network cable, uh, go to the hardware store, get some PVC piping so I can like mount it in the, in the garden. And it is now like secreted away in a bush, constantly recording. And I, uh, this was a very, very quick MacGyver job just to get the thing working in the first place. But I'm looking at the live stream now on my, my iPad. I now have right next to the road, looking down the road, a pretty clear view. I'm not certain it is clear enough to catch a license plate, though. This is my, my next problem. If I look at some of, the, some of the recent vehicles that have driven past, and I think what I might need to do is at the moment, it's 4K. You can put it on high frame rate. I think it'll go up to 50 frames a second from minute uh, from memory. But then you no longer have 4K. But at the moment, the plate's a bit of a blur. So I'm going to have a bit of a play around uh, changing the frame rate to see if I can get a clear plate. Now, this is integrated with Home Assistant because I've got the Unify integration there. As soon as I added this camera, if I go to Home Assistant now, I will have that sitting in there. And then that raises all sorts of events. In Home Assistant. It's great the way these things integrate. So if I go to my driveway camera, I can see not just a live stream, but I can see things like motion detection because the cameras can act as a motion detector. So within the Ubiquiti camera itself and within the Ubiquiti app, you know, it raises all these events and like here's all your motion events, but it also raises that event in Home Assistant. So I can always use Home Assistant to take a snapshot when there's motion. Now, whether or not the car is actually in the right place for a clear shot of the license plate, I've got to figure that out yet. When I tweeted this thread last night, uh, I guess two things surprised me. Number one, no one got angry. <laughs> Where are you people? <laughs> so no one got angry about the fact that I had security cameras or that I might be capturing license plates. And number two, there were lots of recommendations around open source projects doing uh, automatic license plate recognition, ALPR. So that was cool. And then someone in there as well mentioned the Ubiquity AI cameras. I think that could be really, really cool. But where I'd like to get to is just to be able to have this corpus of data and then do something intelligent with it. And I think that there'll be other ideas and things that come out of it that I just haven't even thought about yet, but we'll see. All right, what's here in the comments? Um, Justin says, uh, I thought this through after we had a car stolen here in Brisbane. The reason I didn't go further was the police said the car they arrived in was stolen anyway, and that is the common way they do it. I, I think there are many different ways to do it. One of the things that, that we've noticed here is um, not just stolen cars, but people coming in on things like bikes, and particularly you still see it sometimes now, but it'd be, uh, I remember one in particular, one of our neighbours, <laughs> quite funny because I think he probably scared the hell out of these these kids, but um, he was following around two teenage girls riding line bikes. Uh, so they're riding line bikes with masks on, slowly riding past houses. And I think from memory, they were trying, uh, they were trying the doors, trying doors of cars in order to take anything that had been left in there. Um, so, you know, look, you're, you're right, Justin, that could just be, if it's a stolen car, what are you going to do anyway? But again, even particularly, we're sort of at a cul-de-sac. So people generally only come down this street 
if they're specifically going to a house or they're rubbernecking. <laughs> and the rubbernecking does happen a bit, but it's normally like during the day. If it's 3 a.m. and a plate that is not normally seen, you know, short of it being an Uber or a taxi or something like that, yeah, that would be that would be highly anomalous. What you then do about it is another question. Tourists, can you live stream with the same legal basis uh, or only for private use? Because if your live stream is allowed, once you combine multiple AE ring cams, you have a tracking system, license plate faces. I didn't see anything in my research about restrictions on live streaming. Uh, and like I mean to that effect, there are many cameras out there that, that are live stream. Uh, you know, there might be surf cameras or you know, cameras of parks or things like that. So I would be surprised if there was a problem with that. I wouldn't do it constantly myself, <laughs> not at my home. I might take snippets of things later on, but that would be it. Wayne says, we need Hollywood enhance. Yeah, well, I'm going to see what I can get out of this. I need to just save some of these clips in 4K, and then I might just drop them into Premiere and just like frame by frame, do we actually have any frames that are clear? And then I think I'll do the whole thing again after put it in high frame rate. Uh, and look, I might just drive my car past it and capture it and then share the results. So I don't care too much about sharing the license plate from that. Uh, John says, uh, PTZ zoom and enhance. Now, the, the problem with the PTZ is that by virtue of it being on a, a rotating gimbal, it's not always facing the same way. In fact, one of the things, I, I think this is in the pipeline somewhere reading some of the community comments, one of the things it really needs, it needs the ability to go into like sentry mode where it just scans around. It also needs the ability to track objects and follow them. And it also needs the ability to return to a home point or multiple home points. And it doesn't have that yet. But it can be facing in different directions uh, and the zoom can be different. So that's, and in fact, this is one of the problems. You, you can't have defined motion zones because the camera's always facing different directions. You can on a static camera, but you can't on uh, the PTZ. Wayne says you can turn, vehicle, turn on vehicle detection. Yep, I've absolutely got that. So that's, uh, that's well and truly working just as it should. Uh, Wayne says you could send recognized plates via your community WhatsApp group. I need to see data to start seeing if there's anything useful that we can actually start sharing more comprehensively. Um, I'd really like to really like to see what can be done with the data. Being conscious that there is a privacy discussion in there at some point as well, which is, again is precisely why I haven't shared this video of these guys. Uh, if I had a come down this morning and seen something uh, outright illegal, like climbing over my wall after jumping out of the same car, different story. Or if I had to seen the same guy because I got such a clear photo, thanks to the 4K ubiquity PTZ. Uh, these are very clearly identifiable people. This is kind of funny. Tyson, it would be handy if QPS had a service to check if a number plate is from a stolen car. Or QPS is Queensland Police Service. Uh, that That is a good question. Now, there there is, with uh, transport and main roads, with the ability to look up a license plate and check the registration status, but that's not necessarily going to give you anything useful there. Uh yeah, Tourist says, smart idea, public API for stolen plates database. Uh, <laughs> Josh says, showdown is full of cameras that are streaming everything. Uh, I Look, it's, it's a little bit like the whole home automation thing, where I, I don't know that there's a 
necessarily value in all of it, but it feels like a fun project, and I think I might find something useful out of the exercise. Uh, so I'm going to have a bit of a play. I might again have a bit of a play around with that soon. I've been working hard. I deserve to go and have some. <laughs> this is my having fun. It's like playing with technology, trying to solve problems. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to share the results. That I might actually go out and do the drive-by and just see how clear that plate recognition is the current settings, do it again, see if I can get something something quite useful. And then, of course, what it's actually able to do at night is a whole other question altogether. I'll share the results once I do that. Look, thanks for listening, folks. It's been uh, an hour 10, which, which is rather a long one for, for these uh, weekly updates. Uh, I'll share some more Twitter data later on. I will do some more analysis. We'll try and figure out where this corpus of information has come from, uh, and we'll see if we can't draw some some logical conclusions about how it's been put together. Uh, hopefully, Twitter continues to run between now and next week, and then we can just talk about what other weird shit Elon's done. Thanks for watching. Catch you next week.